0: I think to me it really comes down to the horsemanship, um, because I think really knowing your horse, really understanding what's the best way to talk to your horse and what's the best way to develop your horse's own unique personality, their own unique confirmation, their own unique you know, way of going, I think has to be the most important thing. and. You know, I, I try to train the same way across all the disciplines. And so I'm not trying to have a different way of communicating with my horse in one phase versus another phase. And so everything, whether it's the dressage training or the show jumping training or the cross country training or the conditioning, I'm, I'm trying to have a, a, a very similar approach so that nothing is new for the horse. Um, and I really focus on breaking things down into as small of steps as possible, even though that does sometimes take a little bit more time.
1: Welcome to Practical Horseman's podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show, which runs every other week, is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Emily Daly, and this week's episode is with international three-day event rider Matt Brown, whom I chatted with earlier this spring. Matt has a reputation for being a hardworking, thoughtful rider who's well-respected among his peers in the eventing community. We published a great profile piece about him in an issue of Practical Horseman last year, which you can check out on practicalhorsemanmag.com, so I was glad I finally had the chance to meet him in person. I sat down with him for a conversation in between his rides at this year's Carolina International three-day event back in March to learn more about his background, training insights, and philosophies. For years, Matt and his wife Cecily were based out in California, slowly building up a successful training and teaching program. During that time, Matt had incredible success with several talented horses, but he and Cecily felt they needed to be where the action was to give Matt the best chance to realize his dream of representing the U.S. in team competitions. So, a few years ago, they decided to uproot their business and settle in Cochraneville, Pennsylvania, one of the biggest hotspots for the sport. They've been there ever since and have once again created a thriving program at their new home base. As we all know, competing horses has its ups and downs, and Matt certainly had quite a roller coaster ride in his career. A few years ago, he was named to the USEF High Performance List and a top contender for the 2015 US Pan Am team. He also received grants to compete his two top horses, Super Sox BCF and BCF Bellicoso, overseas. But health issues with the horses threw a wrench in his plans, and ultimately, he could only take one. He and Super Sox made the trip to Europe to compete at the Nations Cup Final in Bocalo, and their performance earned the U.S. team a second-place finish. Since then, he and Super Sox have had two successful trips to the Kentucky three-day event and had their sights set on making the team for last year's World Equestrian Games. Sadly, Super Sox suffered from badly bruised feet after pulling both front shoes during his cross-country round at the 2017 event and was given months and months to recover, which meant no chance at WEG. But Matt's taken it all in stride, and he has several other horses coming up the levels, including a top horse called Big Berry. And just this summer, Super Sox is slowly making a comeback. Before we jump into my conversation with Matt, I just wanted to take a minute to thank Absorbing for sponsoring this week's podcast. Absorbing has been the world's most trusted name for more than 125 years. Your horse deserves the best care, so for all your muscle and joint, hoof care, fly control, skin and coat, supplements, and leather care needs, visit Absorbing.com. Look for savings in their special offers section. And now, let's get right into the interview. I began by asking Matt how he got involved in the horse world and ultimately got his start in eventing.
0: So my parents have always joked that horse was my first word. Uh, I don't really ever remember wanting to do anything else. Um, and so how I originally got into it was my mom uh, trained dogs, and she had a dog trainer friend that also had horses. So she like took me on a lead, you know, led me around the property one time um but i think since even before then since i had seen or known about horses it was just something that i was supposed to do i guess it's been easy and hard for me because i sort of have always had the sense that this was what what i was supposed to do or needed to do and so there were some times where that made it really difficult when i i actually did quit for about a year and got sort of a normal job when I had sort of was a little disillusioned with things Um, and a normal job just was not for me so uh, I slowly got back into it um, in a slightly different way and, um, and then it has made it easy in some ways that you know I just I always knew where I was going you know so it's just been a part of my life
2: some of your early horses you had some really interesting early horses i remember an appaloosa that you talked about max tell me a little bit about him and and how he shaped your career
0: i think max i was incredibly lucky to get max um my trainer at the time andrea pfeiffer saw a video of max and went out to see him Uh, basically the video was a little girl riding him he was six years old um she was hanging onto his neck in the middle of a field and Max would just find a jump and go jump it basically. Um, and, and it's, and so I think we bought him for like a few thousand dollars and I don't know that I should have gone advanced on him. Uh, I didn't actually get around the advance that I did, but, um, the horse was all heart and I wasn't good. Um, you know, I, I, liked riding cross country, but, dressage wasn't easy for me it wasn't easy for him um, I think back and I I wonder now if I had him boy like he was something because he was a talented horse but he was mainly heart um, and I was lucky enough that at, at a certain point I had to sell him. Uh, to continue financing, you know myself and I was lucky enough to get him back in his retirement And he had gone completely blind And I had him out in a pasture with some of my other baby horses for a long time and uh, He just was an amazing horse of a lifetime really
2: And he was an Appaloosa. I mean, that's an unusual how many Appaloosas go up through advanced. I mean, that's pretty amazing
0: Yeah, n- not not very many. I don't think Um in the 93 young rider team, actually, it was Gina Ostini at the time, but Gina Miles was riding a horse named Southbound, who was also an Appaloosa. So we had two Appaloosas on the same team. That was very unusual. Um, my dad does remember, my dad was always at the events videoing me on, you know, one of those big over-the-shoulder video cameras. Um and he only remembers two or three judges looking up seeing that it was an appaloosa and then never looking back up again so we did run into a little bit you know some people not really liking the breed very much and i will say that the first year that we had him i didn't like the breed very much he was very stubborn Um, but when we worked through the stubbornness he gave me everything he had
2: so after you came up and you did Young Riders, um, and then you did a working student gig, and then you kind of took some time off. So what sort of got you back into horses after that time?
0: Well, so like I said, I, I took some time off. I was starting to just be a little bit lost. After coming back from the East Coast, uh, realizing, I was actually told. Um, the person that I was riding with on the east coast that my family didn't have money and so I wasn't going to make it even though they believed in me as a rider and and I was already feeling like watching all these other riders you know go out and do it and be really successful and I had to sell max in order to finance going to the east coast and so when I was a working student I didn't even have a horse and so I had to borrow horses to ride and so coming home from that that's when I I sort of left horses for a bit and worked at a machine shop for a while. And then d- that didn't work for me. And so I actually got a an evening restaurant job. And then during the day started slowly, you know, making some money rotting for random people here or there. Um, and I was reluctant to get back into the sport. Um, partly, I was growing up the kid that was stupid enough or strong enough I'm not sure which way I want to say it um, that would really get on and sort of make the horses do things it never felt very good to me Um, it always felt like sometimes I could get it done but it always felt like the horses were just kind of waiting to get rid of me or at least they weren't enjoying it and I wasn't enjoying it either Um, and so I started to um, well I was going to say I experimented but I met a friend in Montana who had a cattle ranch and introduced me to some natural horsemanship. And so for a few years, I would go up to his ranch and ride and rope, and he'd show me natural horsemanship, and then he'd come to California, and I'd put him in a dressage saddle, and we'd do some jumping, and we just talked a lot about what we were wanting out of our horses. And I started to realize that I didn't necessarily need to bully the horses, and I could actually enjoy the process of training, and. That's really what brought me back into it. And so I I kept my restaurant job for a number of years as I was building, building myself back up into the sport.
2: And then not too long after that, you met your wife, Cecily, Um, And, you know, you guys, it's like a, you're just like this pair, you know, I think Um, you've just built this incredible partnership together. So tell me a little bit about that and, you know, how she's been such a huge part of your life over the past, you know, more than a decade. And you guys have just built your business together.
0: So, yeah, uh, so much of what we've done, I think, is because we have each other. I think it's a very difficult sport, what we do. And not just eventing, but horse sports across the board. And if you don't have people who are close to you, supporting you, um, it can really be too much, you know, I think. I think that, you know, when we first met, I was starting to get back into competing, but I wasn't taking it very seriously. Um, And she sort of stopped me one day and just asked what I was doing. That, you know, she thought I was good and that I wasn't really trying. Um, So I told her about... You know, I'm not really feeling like I could do it because I didn't have the financial backing. And she just said, like, that's BS. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess that is kind of BS. I was just afraid of trying and not actually being good enough. Um, And so she sort of got me believing in myself again. And then, you know, in moving to the East Coast and really trying to push for team stuff and, and really pushing myself just personally um, trying to get better every day, you know, trying to get better every day is not for the faint of heart. And if it's just you, I don't know that, that that's very sustainable. Like you need a close friend or a spouse or a parent or someone that you can go to when it's really hard. And, and you know, talk to them about what's going on. Um, I see a lot of other really good riders struggling with that because they don't necessarily have the the support um and i i strongly believe that you know horse is what i'm passionate about but i think whatever you're passionate about i think that it's worthwhile spending time doing it um i never really have been a believer in you know go and get a 95 9 to 5 in order to pay for your passion because um, there's a lot of a lot of life that goes by in your 9 to 5 and if you're not if that's not what you're passionate about i've I'm, it's hard for me to support that. At the same time, you know, when we're struggling to, to make things work financially, um, you know, you do second guess your decisions.
2: So you were based in California for quite a while. And, you know, after meeting Cecily and you guys are starting to build this business and she mentions like, all let right, right, let's, let's kind of take it to the next level. And then all of a sudden, it's sort of the next level for you was finding this amazing horse super Sox. so and, and i think a lot of us to have followed his career so tell me a little bit about this horse how he came to be and a little bit of that partnership I think he really kind of put you on the map i think in your career
0: so yeah super Sox is is a little bit like my horse max he's he's all heart um we found him we we went to ireland with Bob and Valerie Fish, who um, decided to go on this crazy journey with us, and be and Derek DeGrazia, who are my coaches in California. And we found him at Fernhill Sport Horses, where he had been for over a year at least, if not more than that. Um, he has shivers behind, and so a lot of people won't, won't consider a horse that has shivers. But a horse that Cecily had also had shivers, and so I was comfortable with it and but I didn't love him when I tried him Uh, he groaned a lot and he was stiff and he was six years old but I remember asking Derek after we looked at him I was like how old is that horse because he feels like he's 18 Um, and the next day Derek really liked him so Derek jumped him the next day and we just kept putting the jump up and up and up and the horse just never put a foot wrong he never jumped it extravagantly but he always cleared it um And so Derek convinced me, and and Bob and Valerie, to to buy him. And when I decided that I really liked him, was my first ride on him in California, Um, he bucked me off. And because in in Ireland, he just seemed kind of ho-hum, you know, just stiff and old to me. And so when he bucked me off, now, you have to just, I do like that kind of horse. I like horses that have fire and are, are kind of dragons And because I have a very calm personality and so it's much easier for me to calm them down as it is for me to like liven them up. So as soon as he bucked me off, Cecily didn't even have to ask me. She was like, you really like him now, don't you? I said, yeah, I really like him now. Um, and so it took a while to get the partnership going. Um, but especially the the last kentucky that we did um i just really f- feel like the partnership was starting to drive and uh yeah he's he's a really really fun another sort of force of a lifetime
2: And so you know you're out in california and you've got these you've got Flaxen who he's called and then you're starting to build up this amazing string of these awesome, talented horses picking up some good wins out there on the West Coast, um, and then a couple years ago you decided, let's pick up and move east. So what sort of prompted that move? I mean, this was, you guys had a business and everything going for you, but this was such a huge decision that you both made. What sort of prompted that?
0: So, like a lot of things, a lot of the decisions were made for us. Uh, fate, I guess. Um, we, we, we hadn't decided to move east um i was coming out to be a part of the pan am selection trials and while we were out so we had a pretty thriving business um of about 30 to 40 clients in california and so in order to make the trip we had everybody got together we did fundraising we funded this trip where it was going to take you know one to three months of being gone from our business and so it was a huge uh, ordeal to, to do this and while we were on the East Coast the property that we were leasing the owners decided to uh, develop it and so I was stuck with the prospect of during the middle of all the Pan Am selection trials having to fly home find a new place to move my business move my business get all my clients comfortable and happy um, and it's difficult in that area in California to find a proper place to train, especially when you have that many horses and clients. Um, and so, you know, Cecily and I just had multiple heart to hearts and, you know, I I think we basically just got to the point where, you know, if I'm going to keep trying to push for these team things, I'm going to have to keep coming East. And, you know, this was a great fundraiser to get us here and a lot of people donated and, and it was really amazing. But, I don't think that's sustainable every year for us to do that and the meanwhile our clients are at home you know wanting us to be back so we, we ultimately made the decision to, to not go back and it was really difficult we had a lot of great clients who are being very supportive of us doing this um, so it was really hard to walk, walk away from that let alone I mean we had been building it together for five or six years so you know this was not what we the direction we expected our lives to go in we owned a property when cecily and i first met we lived in a i lived in a 14-foot travel trailer um and then you know we bought a property we had this business together so then walking away from the business walking away from our property in california and moving back into a travel trailer was not (laughs) the, the did not seem like the right direction to be going in um but we decided to go with it, and and luckily, you know, Cecily is so supportive that she was willing to, you know, go ahead and, and do this.
2: So you came east, and, you know, over the past couple of years, you've had a lot of really high ups and really low lows as far as, horses and soundness and being on teams and being very close to being, you know, probably achieving the goals you really want to achieve in your career. Um, But eventing is a really tough sport. I mean, how do you personally, you know, deal with disappointment and pressure and pick yourself up when things don't go well and really stay focused on your goals for what you want and what your horses and your family?
0: So my, my goals have changed a lot. Um, you know, it's been an amazing trip and there's so many people that have been a part of this journey, this journey that are, are, and have been amazing. Um, but eventing is a difficult sport and especially, you know, growing up on the West coast, I had never really competed anywhere else. So coming out to the East coast, competing on different footing at different venues, um, I was very low on the learning curve and um, managing my horses, not only on new footing, but with a new veterinary team, with new shoeing team, you know, everything was different, and so it, it took us a while to, to get a handle of that, and, um, you know, and then being named as an alternate for the Pan Ams and alter, alternate for the Olympics, it's really difficult, like it is amazing. But to go to the, especially to the Pan Am training session before the team left, to be a part of the tra- team training, and then to, like, wave goodbye to the team as I'm sort of going back home was really tough. Um, but I remember when, when I was on the Nations Cup team with Flaxen, and we had a, just an amazing show, and he finished sixth um, individually. I remember Phyllis Dawson saying to me, Um, you know just don't let the highs get too high here because the lows can be really low and you know she couldn't have been more right Um, so my goals have changed a bit or at least how I think about my goals have changed a bit in order to try to stabilize my mindset um, because it was really difficult for me sort of being named alternates and just feeling like I'm doing everything I can possibly can and I'm not quite making it. And and it's really easy to go to that place of maybe I'm just not good enough. And whether that is right or wrong doesn't really matter, but you can't stay motivated when you're thinking like that. So the only way to motivate yourself is to decide what is going what kind of thinking is going to empower me to keep going and whether it's true or not. I don't think is important, but just what what is going to empower me and that's what I'm going to focus on. Um, And so continuing to focus on making teams and really driving for the Olympics. It's absolutely what I want to do, but it's not what I'm thinking about every day. Um, In order for me to stay sane during this process, I really have come to the point where what I really want to do is honestly enjoy my horses and enjoy riding them. Because honestly, they go better when I'm enjoying them, because I'm more relaxed. I'm not, you know, tense and pushing for things that I I shouldn't be pushing for. Um, Or if I am pushing, I'm doing it in a much more empathetic way. And so I'm more open to the feedback that the horses are giving me. And I know when to back off or when it's okay to keep pushing. Um, So focusing on just really enjoying the partnerships and doing everything I can to develop the partnership, to develop myself personally every single day and to develop my horses and their personalities every single day Um, and and really just trying to balance who I want to be as a person, what kind of horseman I want to be with my competition goals.
2: And in these days, being at the top level of eventing, I, I mean, it seems like you have to be the best on the flat and the best in cross country and the best in show jumping. What, in knowing your own strengths and weaknesses as a rider, um, what are some things that you like to work on uh, to really kind of, you know, solidify all of those aspects of the sport?
0: I think to me, it really comes down to the horsemanship mm-hmm. um, because I think really knowing your horse, really understanding what's the best way to talk to your horse and what's the best way to develop your horse's own unique personality, their own unique confirmation, their own unique, you know, way of going, I think has to be the most important thing. And you know, I, I try to train the same way across all the disciplines. And so I'm not trying to have a different way of communicating with my horse in one phase versus another phase and so everything whether it's the dressage training or the show jumping training or the cross-country training or the conditioning i'm I'm trying to have a a, a very similar approach so that nothing is new for the horse Um, and i really focus on breaking things down into as small of steps as possible even though that does sometimes take a little bit more time which i think is is always the crux with competing you have a competition in two weeks you have to get to the competition but in one sense you have to be willing to take whatever time it takes in the other sense you have a job to do and on the day you have to do the job and so there is a balance there between you know tr- horse training and competing and I want to try to do my best to make sure that by the time I'm at the competition the horse is prepared that I can compete um, and if my horse isn't ready com- to compete um, then I'm either using the competition to continue preparing the horse and I'm going to choose a different competition to compete. I'm just using it as a training experience for the horse, which is, I think, perfectly valid. Um, or if I meant to go to that show and compete and I feel like the horse isn't ready, then I need to look back and figure out where did I miss? What did I miss along the, the way?
2: and you also do quite a bit of teaching uh, teaching students and training horses um what are some of the key issues that you see riders struggling with today in the sport
0: um a couple of things that i've been thinking about a lot is control i think a lot of people struggle with control and um i sort of grew up in the martial arts and have gone back to teaching some tai chi which um, uh, not a lot of people, I think, have a lot of experience with it, but I think for riders especially, um, there are um, aspects about Tai Chi that really directly relate to riding. So there's a theory in the martial arts, in, but in, especially in the, in the Tai Chi and the internal arts specifically, about um, maximum efficiency, minimum effort. So in a lot of the martial arts, focusing on the ability of a smaller opponent to best a bigger, much stronger opponent. Um, because ultimately, if you're not the biggest, strongest person in the room and you're relying on your strength, somebody is going to beat you. Um, and I think about that a lot with horses. Um, but in order to, to defend yourself um, and not have to be the strongest person in the room or in order to ride a horse and not just manhandle it, we have to fight our own instincts because if we're pushed, we we want to push back or or maybe we want to run away, right? But neither is good in a self-defense situation necessarily and neither is good for working with your horse. So figuring out how to fight our own instincts and work with the horse and redirect energy rather than, than push against or, or fight energy. So in martial arts, we work a lot with resistance. Um... And resistance has its place with horses, but I think we tend to overuse resistance. And where you see that come out with riders and their horses is riders trying to be very overly controlling with their horse. And so the horse's neck gets all tied up in knots, and it just looks more like wrestling than riding. Um, And so I think there's a lot of control issues that we have as humans that, uh, unfortunately, our our horses have to,
2: to deal with. So looking ahead to this year, what what are you excited about this year? I mean it's early spring right now while we're doing this interview. Um, but what's exciting for you? What are some of the horses that you're looking forward to, some events you've got on your um, you know your goals, your list, or even just your training goals? I mean, what's something that you really want to be able to achieve this year?
0: Uh, well, it's funny. you know I I really felt like for a while if I, if I didn't focus all my attention on trying to go, go to the Olympics, how was I going to get there? And so I really had tunnel vision at first when we moved to the East Coast and it was really draining on me personally and on the people around me. Um, and so this last year I changed my focus a bit and wanted to focus, go back and focus more on my horsemanship which I really enjoy, Um, and that tends to make it easier for me to enjoy my horses, and so having the focus of wanting to enjoy my horses, having the focus of wanting to help my students as much as I can um, with their riding, or just, you know, I think for Cecily and I both, we want to be the type of people who... Um, are helpful you know and so we want to help the horses we want to help our clients and our students uh, as much as we can um, and it it really is amazing because I mean that's not that much of a that's not a hard fast goal you know that's just what are you doing every day how are you behaving every day um, but it's more within our control than you know all the other goals that we tend to have so um, just focusing on that actually this last year we've ended up getting a bunch more horses um partly our own fault but also partly some people bringing us horses um and so we have a really significant group of young horses that are coming up that i'm really excited about um flaxen is coming back so i'm excited about you know doing another five star now with him um and uh, you know, a few of our other horses are starting to come up and do some exciting things. So, um, you know, I, I had a really good experience riding at the the eventing pre-invitational with Talking Point. Um, and again, my goal going there was just to have fun riding him because he's such a fun jumping horse. And he ended up doing really quite well. Um, so I think that will continue to be, honestly, my main goal. Um I am excited about some competition goals that I have coming up. Um, I'm not sure how much I'm going to let myself actually focus on them. Um, but we're, I'm pushing every day. I'm pushing myself and I'm pushing the horses as much as I am comfortable um, with. And, But yeah, I really would just like to enjoy what we're doing.
2: And just as one final wrap-up question, I know uh, being in the horse business is sort of all-consuming with time and energy and all of that, but what's something that you and Cecily like to do or that you like to do to just kind of relax or, you know, just to get away from the horses for a little bit?
0: Get away from horses? Is that something that people do? Um, That's a good question. Uh, We don't. Uh, If we're not being able to relax with the horses, then we don't relax. I think this is the part of the reason why, you know, this is such a difficult sport. Because if you're pushing every day and you're not finding, you know, what you're doing enjoyable, it's very difficult to recharge your tank, you know, refill your tank or whatever. Um, So, ultimately, what we have to try to do, because we very rarely take days off, is breathe and actually enjoy what we're doing so we can have the energy to keep to keep going forward Um, there are lots of things that we like to do if we have days off none of them involve horses at all um but yeah we very rarely actually do those things um so i would love to do some more of those things that would be great uh so as time allows yes going and hanging out mainly hanging out reading I'd love to read some more, take naps. That would be great.
2: Well, I think that's great. And I think that's all the questions I have. So thanks so much for your time, Matt.
1: Thank you for listening to Practical Horses' podcast. I'd really appreciate your feedback. So if you have time, please rate and review the show. And join us again in two weeks. Upcoming conversations are with eventing legend Jim Wofford and other top riders such as hunter trainer Tom Brennan and jumper rider Kevin Babington. You can also subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening.